0: Wait, you want me to record your banter?
1: No, not necessarily. Well, I
0: just hit record. So what, what were we just bantering about?
1: Well, you wanted to talk about cleaning up the apartment. Yeah. I wasn't sure that would be interesting subject matter.
0: Well, yeah. I think it's very interesting because we came back from Japan And we were, well, before we start, I want to say hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I am so excited about this week's episode. We have Chef Susan Feniger, who's an icon of not just L.A. dining, but I think American dining, and she's truly one of the most innovative, important chefs around. And so she came to my apartment, and she was awesome, and so I'm so excited to share that interview. But first, I have with me my husband, Craig, and... I was trying to come up with what we're going to talk about at the start of today's episode, and we just did this this epic clean of our apartment. I thought you'd be excited to talk about Actually,
1: it. Actually, you know what? I am excited to talk about it because it felt so good. It was a purge. Yeah. It was a purge of our apartment, and I think partially inspired by Japan and sort of the kind of, you know, minimalist, uh, curated um, sort of vibe there. Um, I wanted to come back here and just... Dig it like like rip open the closets and get rid of all the extra clothes and look at our books I like having a lot of books, but I felt like our shelves were overflowing. I think you had a few too many
0: cookbooks Well, that was a big deal for me and maybe more interesting or or topic oriented for our listeners Which is that I had to go through all my cookbooks and I did a really major purge of cookbooks And the way that I did it was that I and yet
1: we still have hundreds
0: True, but, I
1: mean, look on the floor.
0: I had stacks and stacks and stacks of cookbooks. And so the way that I purged my cookbooks, and it was a tricky thing to do, was to open up the cookbooks to three different recipes. And if I wasn't interested in making any of those recipes, I purged the cookbook.
1: That's very Marie Kondo. I know. Sort of a version of Sparking Joy. Yeah. Because my version was to pull out an object like a piece of clothing or a book, and and this is my version of it that I've been employing for years when I clean, is I ask myself two questions when I'm holding the object, which is, one, do I use it? And usually it's like within the last six months. So that doesn't mean we'll use it someday. Do I use it? Or do I love it? Mm-hmm. Not like, do I, do I really like it? Do I love it? And if the answer is no to both those questions, do I use it or do I love it? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. You'll never miss it. What was something
0: you struggled the most with in terms of facing that question?
1: Um, there were a couple books. There's one that we haven't given away, the books yet. They're all just sitting now in the bags to give away. I might go through and, and dig that one out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a
0: few of those that um, I rescued from the, the donate pile. At the last minute. Well, so in my cookbooks, I had... Um, boy, I have to be careful here about what I say because I don't want to insult any chefs who might be listening. But I... Definitely had my share of kitschy cookbooks, including the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous cookbook and the Miss Piggy cookbook. Yeah. And the Liberace cookbook. Yeah. It's a good go. And I think it was time to say goodbye to those. Not because I didn't. Like them, but I don't. Not sure that I loved them, and I'm not sure I would ever use them. I
1: love, and I and I look at. Don't get me wrong; it doesn't mean I look at collections as something I love. But within that collection, I think you have to curate. And one of the great things about your cookbook collection is I think you have a lot of really cool sort of vintage cookbooks and unique cookbooks. Like I, I love the the Vincent Price cookbook. Oh yeah, and
0: if you've never seen that, it's called The Treasury of Great Recipes, and uh, Vincent Price and his wife, whose name I I think it was Mary Price. um, uh, they traveled the world and ate at all the world's great restaurants, and then they wrote this gorgeous book that's sort of, uh, uh, you know, something that collectors look for when they go to stores, um, and it has like a leather cover, and it's it's menus and pictures and recipes from the best restaurants in the world, and it's a
1: great book. Did you know, here's a newlyweds question, did you know that I own one cookbook, and it's sitting on our shelves, and it's actually prominently displayed? You know which one it is.
0: You own a cookbook. I own a cookbook. Oh, the boys and girls cookbook. The Betty Crocker boys and girls cookbook. Oh yeah, is that why it's prominently displayed? Because it's yours.
1: No, it's prominently displayed because it is a it is a it is an object I love that is one I'm never getting rid of I remember it from my childhood my my mother had it and the pictures are amazing uh, they're, they're like these 1950s rich Betty Crocker pictures of like crazy gingerbread houses and little like toy soldier cakes and did you um, ever make anything from it? No, I don't think I've ever. Oh, I think my mom makes every Christmas time. She makes those sort of chocolate crinkle cookies. Uh-huh. You know, which have the little powdered sugar on. It. I think she might have gotten the recipe from that book. Oh no, that's a different Betty Crocker, but that's a cookie book oh. by Betty Crocker. This is this is the one. I, I just love the photographs in it. It's very 1950s. Um, they're full color, kind of. There's and and I loved thumbing through it as a kid because it looked like just the most delicious sweets. It's like you were in a, a Technicolor like soda shop. Well, what's interesting
0: for me is I realized, and it's a really difficult thing to confront as a former food writer, but one of the things I was thinking about a lot with these cookbooks is that how do I go about looking for a recipe these days when I'm doing a dinner party? And much like a lot of people out there, I really generally look on the internet. I mean, more than I ever did before. And I think the cookbooks that I love and that I keep are the ones that just inspire me in general or teach me things in general that I kind of keep, you know, sort of attitudes about cooking and philosophies of cooking. Like, for example, the Chez Panisse books or um, trying to think of like a platter of figs by David Tannis. Like it's sort of like an, an attitude about cooking that I take with me to the farmer's market. But I'd, But in terms of looking for a specific recipe, if I was going to make a red velvet cake, I'd be just as likely to Google red velvet cake and try to find one on Smitten Kitchen or the New York Times as I would to be going to my cookbook collection. Do you
1: find that you have a cookbook that you return to um, more than all others? Like, what is, like, just a, like, staple of your cookbook collection? Well, that you lately. Actively use?
0: Yeah, lately it's been Six Seasons by Joshua McFadden, who's the chef at um, the place we went to in Portland uh, that was so good. Remember, we went to this place that had, like, pasta, and we had, oh, like, an yeah. apple salad. I'm totally blanking on Ada Mays, Ada something. Oh, I can't remember Um but that's an amazing book. I love Suzanne Gowen's cookbooks. She does Sunday. Sunday s- suppers at Lou. Yeah, that's an amazing book. And um, and I still will look at that and be very inspired. I feel like the the, the recipes that, that really speak to me these days are ones that have little twists to them. Like just a great idea, something where it's like, oh, I never thought about like a great example is April Bloomfield's cookbook, um, A Girl in Her Greens, I think, has um Kale Polenta. So it's like I make polenta all the time, but I was making a dinner for our French friend, Chris. He came over for dinner once. I don't know if you were there for this dinner, but I blew his mind by making this kale polenta. And what it was, it was basically a puree of cooked kale with garlic that you stirred into cooked polenta and it turned the polenta green and gave it this vibrant flavor. And it's something that I never would have come up with on my own, but it's just a smart little chef trick that twisted it enough to make it special and memorable.
1: And impressed our French cook friend.
0: Well, speaking of great chefs, I have to get you guys excited for this week's episode because it really is a great um, episode, I think. And the way I'm going to do that is um, instead of me telling you about Susan Feniger, I'm going to read you something from the late, great Jonathan Gold. Jonathan Gold, unfortunately, passed away, I think, two years ago now, or maybe it was last year, but he was the only Pulitzer Prize food critic, and he um, absolutely adored uh, Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milliken, and he had, um, for the LA Times, he created the Gold Award, and he gave the Gold Award to Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milliken, and um, and this is what he wrote, um, and I'm just going to read it to you so you can also be excited for today's episode. It is hard to imagine anyone who has shaped the idea of what a Los Angeles chef might be than this year's honorees, who have worked as partners since their early years of apprenticeship and who have run restaurants together here since the early 1980s. As, at the original city cafe on Melrose, Feniger and Milliken turbocharged the idea of a neighborhood restaurant, and at their ambitious city restaurant on La Brea, which served finely realized versions of dishes from a dozen countries, they blurred the boundaries between street food and fine dining in a way that some Some of us are just now beginning to appreciate. Feniger later formalized the blurring at her short-lived street. At Border Grill, they explored regional Mexican cooking a decade before the idea became fashionable. A lot of people who wouldn't dare admit it at the moment may have first tasted panuchos, tinga, freshly made tortillas, and pescado veracruzana at Border Grill. They wrote five cookbooks together. They were the original hosts of The Good Food Show on KCRW. And fun fact, actually, I'm not reading Jonathan Gold right now. I just read, I was reading about Susan Feniger after I interviewed her, but that sweaty balls skit that's on SNL. Oh, yeah, yeah, with that.
1: Alec Baldwin
0: and Anna Gasteyer yeah. and Molly Shannon is based on Susan Feniger and, Molly and Mary Sue Milliken's KCRW show really yeah and That's... so if you ever listened, saw that SNL sketch um, it, anyway it's the
1: NPR ladies
0: yeah the NPR like, ladies it's was based, a whole series of sketches right but it was also food based because I'm right. talking about taste taste my muffins and all that oh, right. uh, anyway uh, back to Jonathan Gold. their long running series Too Hot Tamales may have been the first genuine hit in the pre-Emerald days of the Food Network Feniger in a solo turn was a star on Top Chef Masters and not least, they have always been among the most generous of chefs, pouring countless hours and organizing countless fundraisers for Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, the Los Angeles LGBT Center, and the Scleroderma Research Centers, among many others. Tacos and tamales, we have learned, can bring the world together. Susan Feniger and Mary Sue Milliken have shown us more than a few of the possibilities. And so, without further ado, here is my interview with Susan Susan Feniger all right, Susan, it's so nice to have you here.
2: Thank you. I'm and, excited to be here.
0: And I have to say, like, I'm a lunch therapist, so I'm not supposed to say this, but I'm a huge fan oh, of you. And thank you. And, and you're, you know, I think you're sort of, um, I don't know, when I moved to LA, I moved from New York, and I feel like there's like an LA culture here of chefs, and, and it's almost like a secret from, you know, from the East Coast food media world, you know, and I feel like you're such a treasure. Oh, thank And, you. and discovering so you, and well, I mean, and, and I think that you know your career and your story is so fascinating so again like i'm very excited to have you here
2: thank you <laughs> i think we have a, a a great chef's culture here in la you do you know? yeah. i mean it's been i think people are i think people are you know um supportive and helpful in every way you know in terms of helping to find staff or questions you might have mm-hmm. or, purveyors you work with or problems that you have. I mean, that's been my experience really for the last 38, you know, (laughs) 38 years. You've been doing this
0: for a long time? I mean. Well,
2: here in LA. Yeah. I mean, Mary Sue and I opened in 1981. It's unbelievable. And and before that, I was working when Wolfgang Puck was the chef at Zone. Mm Mm-hmm. I worked for him. So that was in the late 70s.
0: Were you there when Orson Welles was coming in? Yeah, all all the time. time. That's so cool. I I
2: used to, you know, I moved out here from Chicago and I was working and I got a job at Mommy Zone. And it used to be, yeah, Orson Welles constantly. Every day he had his corner booth. And, but That's it was amazing. everybody. It was Paul Newman. It was Jane Fonda. Wow. And I used to like call home and just say, oh my God, you can't believe who was here today. <laughs> That's it was so
0: cool. I just very, read a book of interviews with Orson Welles. That's this uh, famous editor or director. Like it was him having lunch with Orson. It was called Lunches with Orson. Uh-huh. And it all took place at Mamie's Own.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And my my very good friend, Carla Weber, was the bartender there and. And he was in that corner all the time. And, oh
1: my god! But ev-
2: everybody was there. The tickets that would come in—it was mind-boggling. And you know, being a Midwest girl, totally starstruck. It was like, oh my god!
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you've done so many cool things in your career. I feel like I could probably do like three hours with you. But before we get into like all of that, I do want to yeah. ask you about the new restaurant. Yeah. a brand new restaurant that's just opened.
2: Yep, very exciting. Called Sokolo. Okay. And it's uh, on 20th and Santa Monica mm-hmm. in Santa Monica. Great. And it's right across from St. John's. And it's um, very cool, very exciting. We're open breakfast, lunch, and dinner from 7 a.m. to 10. And we just, it goes nonstop. Yeah, During, you were just
0: telling me that you've been on your feet like, yeah, for it's, the last it's been,
2: week. It's that's, been a <laughs> pretty intense schedule, I have to say, you know, but that's, you know, split between, you know, Whatever, 6 a.m. getting there and, you know, helping to get set up Uh and talking to people in the dining room and then tasting the food and then expediting Uh and then dishwashing and busing. You do it all? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it really has been. What's the concept of the restaurant?
2: So it's Mexican Mm -hmm. and it's sort of, it's almost a collaboration in some ways of Southern California and all the amazing ingredients that we have in Southern Mm -hmm. California and Mexican, which is, of course, so much of what mine and Mary Sue's passion has been for years. So it's sort of that mixture, and it's and we sort of call it a cantina and Mexican gastropub. And wow. so it's sort we've got 11 microbrews on tap mm-hmm. from Mexico. Wow. All of our wines are from Mexico. Really interesting mezcals from Mexico. And of course, a full bar, and so a great bar program, but we've been very excited to sort of focus there so it's it's sort of the today version you know where we mm-hmm. you know explored new things and and just new things that are happening on the streets in mexico and brought them Baltimore. To soak a lot.
0: Well, I was reading before you came here. You know, I was obviously doing my research, and and I, I've met you before. And um, right. but I was reading Jonathan Gold um, before he passed away. gave you the Jonathan Gold Award. Yeah. You and Mary Sue. Right. And was talking about how you both were making regional Mexican food before all before it became sort of. I don't want to, this is a terrible word to use, but like acceptable or sort of, right. you know, celebrated the way that it is today in the yeah. food culture. And I mean, and in and, and a lot of ways, a lot of the food that you made, whether it was street food or different things, were, was sort of ahead of its time in terms of where the food media and where, what the food world was interested in. Is that yeah, right? I
2: mean, I think, uh you know, we opened our first little border grill in 1984. Okay. And well, that's a long time ago. Uh-huh. You know, but I think... You know, part of what, where Mary Sue and I were drawn was that we had both worked in many French restaurants. Mm-hmm. And many of the guys, and some women, but mostly guys, were from somewhere in either, you know, Mexico or El Salvador or mm-hmm. Guatemala or, you know, that that was where... So many of the guys that we worked with, because we were women in French kitchens yes. in, in the 70s and 80s, you know, <laughs> 70s, that's where you worked is sort of, you got sort of pushed to the prep area. But these guys would make these amazing staff meals in like five minutes. Really? You know, make some great, throw a pot on with, you know, charred tomatoes and onions and garlic, and they'd make this salsa, and it'd be like, Oh my God, like where did that come from? You could you <laughs> didn't taste that out in restaurants. So I think we both got really interested in the idea. We had opened, well, just go back one step. Is that Mary Sue and I had met working in Chicago in a French restaurant, Le okay. Perroquet. Then I moved out to LA and started working at Mame Zone. And Mary Sue stayed in Chicago. Then we both, without knowing, ended up in. France at the like within two weeks of each other. Really? She ended up in Paris. I ended up in the south of France. Well, it feels Manapur. like the two of
0: you, um are, you know, have a marriage of sorts. Yeah, it's a, it's for a, sure. You guys have worked together for how long?
2: Thirty eight years. Thirty eight years. Amazing, right? And is it
0: like a marriage where there are ups and downs? Oh and- God,
2: for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You I'm know. Sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: but that's its own Yeah, I mean, that's been maybe. amazing. Yeah, that's
2: yeah. <laughs> it's been amazing, an amazing partnership. We're very different and very alike in many ways. So it's been a great partnership, you know?
0: Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, one of the things I love about you is that, you know, you're in this brutal industry where it's dog eat dog. I mean, restaurant, opening a new restaurant is one of the most difficult things to do, but you have this sunny disposition and this warmth. I mean, what is how do you maintain that in the face of such a difficult job?
2: Well, you know, I I love it. I mean, right now we're in the middle of this, you know, opening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, truly, I could almost say it's not that different than opening every single restaurant we've opened where you're just in it and doing everything. I mean, we're very hands-on chefs. Mm-hmm. We always have been. We've stayed very hands-on in our restaurants. And, mm-hmm. and you know, probably to a point of too much. Yeah. But— um. And so, but there's something really magical about seeing something then come to life that, Mm -hmm. you know, a year ago, it was like, well, I don't even know how this is going to happen. So that's been very exciting. So the long, you know, when you're putting in 14, 15 hours, you know, a day, Mm -hmm. that's a lot at this point in our career, but I feel like it's very energizing and fun. And I love... I love seeing like some of the chefs that have grown with us. I mean, mm-hmm. we have a young sous chef who was a line cook for four years at Border Grill downtown, who's now one of our sous chefs. Okay. And, you know, we have our exec sous who worked for me and at Street. Mm-hmm. He started off as a dishwasher and then ended up going out to the Huntington Gardens with us oh, and cool. opening up the Chinese garden, our noodle and dumpling house, and then he, you know, came to open this. And then our executive chef, who oversees Border Grill Downtown and Sokolo mm-hmm. worked for us for probably seven or eight years, left for a couple of years to a couple of different restaurants, and mm-hmm. came back a few years ago. And so, that's
0: a testament to how you run things, too, which is that, you know, you create an atmosphere where people want to stay and work, I think work for so. you. Yeah.
2: I think so. We have a, do have a lot of people who have worked for us for a long time, mm-hmm. and people who've left and then come back. And so...
0: Well one thing I want to ask you about down the down the line a little bit is about, you know, having worked in French restaurant kitchens and this whole you know, there's a lot coming out right now about abuse in kitchens and all you know, and I, I feel even the story you just told of your origin story of, of gravitating more towards the dishwashers were making Mexican food, it feels like you were more interested in a different kind of restaurant experience, right?
2: Well, you know, you didn't have you didn't really have that much choice as a woman in the, in French kitchens back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I, I think, you know, my experience was other than having worked for one chef that was a total jerk Mm -hmm. at that time. Okay. In Chicago. (laughs) Oh, interesting. And even though that was an incredible restaurant, he just, he was on me. You know, there was two women in the kitchen, myself and Mary Sue. Really? And he was just on me. I mean, as it came out later, I believe it was because I had come out oh, as a lesbian, and he hadn't,
0: and oh. I think that
2: caused him to just be pissed at me because he was a repressed I, gay man. I think so. Oh, yeah, wow. he was. Yeah, but That's I think that eventually, you know, eventually he did. But at any rate. I believe that's what might have caused that because it was just stupid. But I stayed there a year and a half and it was an unbelievable kitchen, an unbelievable restaurant.
0: Well, it almost feels like when people talk about their experience in restaurant kitchens, it almost sounds like the army where it's like you get drilled, you get. Yeah,
2: this that kitchen was very, very strict and yeah. very uh, it was intense and. I probably learned more in that kitchen mm-hmm. than any kitchen. It was really a fantastic restaurant. And he was a fabulous chef. He just was, you know, one of those chefs that was an asshole. He and just, did you
0: ever find out if he came out?
2: Yeah, he did come out. <laughs>
0: oh, good. He did. He okay. eventually
2: came out. Um, I'm but, now,
0: like, I'm scratching my head like, who is this person? And, you don't and, have to and <laughs> the best thing about it was <laughs> yeah. that
2: eventually down the road later on when Mary Sue and I were consulting. Mm hmm. He ended up applying for the job, not knowing we were consulting. Uh, and we ended up hiring. That's him, amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice So that's to why that story. you should never, you know, be a jerk. <laughs> yeah. To, you know, someone who's your boss or someone who's not. You never so. know.
0: Well, um, Susan, it's now time to ask you. We're going to begin our therapy session. Okay, good. And so I want to know what did you have for lunch today?
2: Uh, well, you know, this is the hard thing I have to say that happens is that, you know, When for me, when I'm in the restaurant business, I snack constantly. You know, I I never really, I don't sit and eat lunch.
0: That makes sense. You know, but
2: I, you know, end up having, um, I, I end up tasting tons. You know, and oftentimes I'll sit down with my favorite new salsa that we're making at Sokolo. It's a salsa matcha. Okay, it is so delicious. We do it with. Almonds and sesame seeds and pepita seeds and slow-cooked garlic and guajillo, chipotle, and arbol chilies. And it's so addictive. And literally, so many people in these last three weeks that we've been open have said, you know, are you guys going to sell that? Because it is totally (laughs) addictive. It's nutty and spicy and just... And like what do you do, you eat it with a
0: spoon? Or I eat, no, no, no. <laughs> so I
2: eat it, you know, so then I just like get a bowl of chips and a little bit of guacamole uh-huh. and just put it by my desk. And then I think I'm not going to eat that much of it. But then, you know, I end up like, oh, my God, so delicious. But avocado is probably my most favorite food. Okay. I love avocados every single way possible.
0: Is that what you, said? So this is what you had today was the salsa yeah, and the avocado. Salsa,
2: guacamole. It was just sort of my midday, you know, before breakfast and be, or bef- after breakfast. No breakfast, but after coffees. And so
0: I'm actually very curious about this. So, in your normal routine, you don't have breakfast. I
2: don't. I normally end up with, I normally start off with a couple lattes or Uh something I make, you know, at home. And then when I get into the restaurant, and then I've sort of, then I'm in the restaurant tasting. So, you know, I have a pocket full of spoons and I go and taste everything on the line, especially now with breakfast down there. Mm -hmm. So, I'm tasting each item that we have. So, that sort of ends up being my breakfast. Right. And, you know, what I find is that if I go, like if I have a breakfast meeting and I eat breakfast, what happens is when I get into the restaurant, I'm not in the same mindset as going to taste as I am when I go in without having eaten because I'm hungrier so I'm more willing to taste everything and
0: I feel that way with food shopping when I go food shopping if I if I'm hungry when I go food then shopping you want everything? I buy everything yeah. and then I have much more food to eat during yeah. the week but if I'm like full I won't buy as much yeah yeah well one thing that's occurring to me so this is sort of like a therapy session in that I'm trying to like get into your mind a little bit yeah. but one thing that seems immediately apparent is that you have tons of energy
2: I do yeah I don't know why
0: <laughs> yeah I was I've gonna ask where does have. it come from
2: I always have, I'm just, I'm not an, I'm not a very good example of someone, you know, I, you know, I'm not proud of it, but I don't, you know, I don't work out. Really? I, um, I really don't. I mean, I try to like, Every once in a while You know I try to play tennis Uh huh You know I mean
0: you look fantastic I mean I'm not gonna ask your age But I, but even just doing the math Of like how many years You've been yeah, doing Yeah I'm I mean, old Yeah but I'm it's, old. But it's incredible I mean so you don't exercise I,
2: Well you know I We walk our dogs okay. We usually try to walk our dogs Every well, you morning you probably burn A
0: million calories Just being on the line Of a restaurant And running Maybe. around Chopping yeah. and stirring and,
2: <laughs> and you know I mean it, there's been times In my life Where I've worked out A little bit But it's never been I was a jock When I was a kid it, oh, okay. You know, total jock. And I still like when I have the time, I try to play tennis like once a week. I have um a pro who's amazing mm-hmm. that I met like ten years ago and I try to hit like once a week mm-hmm. with him. Yeah, that sounds fun. He's fabulous. But
0: is there, I mean, when we talk about your energy, is there almost like a restlessness to it? Is it hard for you to sit still or or can do you have those moments for yourself too? Yeah,
2: I can. I mean, I think, you know, um I I love getting up early and mm-hmm. I love staying up late. This is really? something. When I was in college, I thought maybe I could do an experiment. And that was a long time ago, college. But, <laughs> you know, do an experiment where I could see if I could live on three hours of sleep.
0: Really? And how so did it go?
2: I did it for about a <laughs> month or so. But, but I think I have always had a ton of energy. I mean, truly, like even if I'm tired, I try to... I, I'm able to like sort of move through it. Were you, you like know? that as a kid? I think so, yeah. And where I mean, did you, just you grow up? Toledo, Ohio. Okay. You know, and I, uh, I mean, I, I was a total jock as a kid and tomboy. Okay. You know, played all sorts of sports baseball, football, soccer, running track, you know. Wow. When I was seven, my uncle used to time me when I would run the mile.
0: And how how fast did you go? Do you remember? I don't remember. (laughs) I want
2: to say like eight minutes, but that's probably not true. I believe it. I don't know. You have
0: the energy for it. I do still have, you
2: know, I'm always amazed, even in the restaurant, I'm blown away. Like when the kids that are like 21, 23, 25, Mm -hmm. you know, they're exhausted, exhausted after (laughs) 10 hours. And I'm like at 14 hours, I'm still like, okay, like, well, know, I, and then I go out and meet, and then, you know, go meet Liz for dinner late <laughs> and have drinks and then go wonderful. home and watch Rachel Maddow. And then, <laughs> wow.
0: you know. um, well, I mean, it seems maybe, and this is my theory, that you're so passionate about what you do and you truly love what you do. And I think that maybe feeds the energy. Is yeah. You like what you're doing. Yeah. So I think uh, people who don't have a lot of energy maybe are dragging themselves out of bed to go to work that they don't like. And Yeah,
2: maybe. I mean, that could be. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, we, We love our animals. We, Mm -hmm. you know, hang out, you know, when I can. I love hanging out with them, you know, take him to the beach and letting him run on the beach is like the most amazing thing ever. You know, but I feel like I can sit down. Like if I take a vacation, I feel like I'm able to like hang out, read. I mean, I love, particularly on a vacation, because when I try to read going to bed at night, I last for about three minutes and then I'm out. <laughs> You're but. out
0: I mean, You deserve your sleep yeah. as much as you can get. I,
2: I know, but even like, you know, this morning, you know, I actually went to bed early, like mm-hmm. 11 o'clock, but at like five, I was like wide awake.
0: And do you just wake yourself up or do you have I an just, alarm clock? Well,
2: I do if I have to get up, but- I you know I just woke up this morning. It's like okay, well it's five, so
0: that's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, since we t- kind of touched on it, so you grew up in Ohio, and were your parents similar to you, or were they also energetic, my food loving people?
2: My mom, my mom was pretty high energy. Hmm. Um. She was also a great cook. Really. Really great cook.
0: And what kind of food did um, she make?
2: You know, Midwest. Jewish. Okay, Jewish. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask
0: if you were Jewish. I think I knew that you were. Okay.
2: So, sort of that. I mean, but she was really great cook. I mean, things like, for example, when we had City Cafe, Mm -hmm. my father packed up like eight icebox cakes that my mom made with lady fingers and like a, a coffee mousse. A strawberry mousse, a chocolate mousse for us to sell at City really? Cafe. Really? From Ohio? From Ohio.
0: And he sent them to you? Yeah, he sent them. <laughs> How did they get make it through the yeah, mill? Yeah, they made it they through. Were, did yeah. you sell them?
2: Yeah, we did, of course. <laughs>
0: That's so cute.
2: And then we did, like, whenever we would do events, like, we used to do American Cancer Society in Cleveland. My parents would fly in and meet with us. And mm-hmm. Mary Sue and my dad would be back, like, on the grills drinking. And my mom and I would be, like, up front working our butts off.
0: And, <laughs> yeah. So was your mom, um, was she cooking just for your family? When yeah. you grew up, and was yeah. it was just you, or did you have siblings? No, um,
2: I have an older sister and older brother.
0: And did you love when you were a kid? Were you loving this food as a kid? You know,
2: I I loved being in the kitchen with my mom, but mm-hmm. it was more like she'd make like Velveeta cheese dreams, or she would make you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. these little things. Craig had those butter. growing up, did yeah. He? yeah. He talks about, he wants me to
0: make him cheese dreams. Yeah,
2: Yeah, they're so fabulous. Fabulous. Where did he grow (laughs) up? He grew
0: up in Washington state. So yeah.
2: Yeah, they were great. I used to make those with my mom or lick the paddles for the fudge.
0: (laughs) Was there, um, were there inklings in that early stage that you were going to be a chef or was it?
2: No, no, definitely. I mean, I was very focused because I was an Ayn Rand person as a kid. Oh,
0: okay. You know, so
2: I was like very, you know, what was I going to do? And Mm -hmm. it was all these different things I, you know was i going to you know be in real estate or was i going to be a professional tennis player I played tennis a lot as a kid
0: right you had all that energy you, know? you just didn't know where to direct it yeah, yeah. was
2: i going to be in real estate and mm-hmm. then you know then i thought i wanted to be a psych major you know uh-huh. and, but i did work in a restaurant when i was in high school And it was called Smith's Cafeteria. And I have to say, I did fall in love with... There was actually a woman cook who ran that kitchen. Really? And I really loved the kitchen vibe then. But I never thought of it as being my profession. But when I was in college, I worked in restaurants and in the school cafeterias the whole time. Where'd you go to college? Claremont. Well, I started at Goddard College in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And then I dropped out after... My first semester, and lived up there. Worked for a cabinet maker, sanding furniture.
0: Really, and you've had I, so many lives. I thought yeah, like you're yeah. a cat. That <laughs> was that was short
2: lived, but I did that <laughs> yeah. when it was like thirty below zero. Oh my god! That. And then, and actually lived soda teepee that winter, and lived in a teepee. <laughs> Up there for a couple of months. In the winter in, in the, Vermont? Come spring. Come oh, spring. Oh, in but spring. it was cold. That sounds freezing. It was cold.
0: And were you cooking for yourself in the yeah, teepee? Yeah, and
2: on a little Coleman stove. Wow. Yeah.
0: Was this during the 60s? This and, was,
2: no, this was, must have been, let me think, uh, 70. Okay. 70, I don't know, I can't remember. Early 70s. Grew, like 70, yeah, early 70s. So it
0: was still like after the hippie era. Yeah. And it was sort of like a Woodstock And It was fabulous. Kind of, yeah. Okay. yeah. And then, so where did you go after that? And
2: then then I decided, well, maybe I should go back to school. Okay. So, and now it's freezing, so I got into Pitzer College in Claremont. God, where's Claremont? Uh, Claremont, California. Oh, in California, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was still thinking. Limonis,
0: Claremont, Claremont, no. So that's what brought you to California. That's what brought that, you to California. Me how did here. it feel when you first got to your future playing ground? Yeah, did it was like you, warm. Did you love it? Yeah, <laughs> after, after that winter, I think. <laughs> it was warm. Yeah. But it was
2: warm and smoggy. But it didn't matter. I... Took I was now had sort of thought, well, I'm in a study. Um, at that point when I was at Goddard, I was studying philosophy because of, hmm. you know, ran and that, and it sort of made sense. And then I, took a class and then I met an economics professor mm-hmm. who blew me away and I changed my major to economics and business.
0: Really? And has that helped you with the restaurant? I think
2: so. It gave me a particular way of thinking for sure. Cause that's the
0: part of opening a restaurant. I mean, I love to cook, but I could never imagine dealing with the business side of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, was helpful. Yeah. You know, it gave me a way of thinking mm-hmm. and, um, But I was very focused. Again, that Rand influence, I was very focused. So I worked in restaurants. I worked in a kitchen the whole three years. Okay, And I convinced the end of my third year, because I had finished all my major requirements in business Mm -hmm. and econ, convinced my econ professor, who I loved, to let me finish my last year at the Culinary Institute.
0: Oh, so you knew at that point. Yes, I did.
2: At that point, because the cook that I had been working for Mm – said to me, "I don't know why you're doing economics. You should be you should become a chef." Really? And when he said that, I was like, "That's true. That's what I should do." Do you
0: remember working in that kitchen and and the first thing that you made or the the moment where you realized, "Oh, I'm actually very good at this?" I mean, was it something that you cooked or something that I you-
2: think it was more about the culture. You okay. know, because I was in there, this particular cook, the head of that kitchen was at the in the cafeteria there. Mm -hmm. So I would be breakfast and then lunch there and lunch. I worked in the kitchen and then into the dish room and did Did dishes then. Ah. And he just, you know, I loved him. He was really a great teacher, like how to make a hollandaise and Mm -hmm. pancakes and just, Great. Right. And I love the pot washer. She was like, looked like she was 80. She was probably 40, you know, but she was skinny and yeah. smoked cigarettes and was all tattooed.
0: So you like the culture of the kitchen. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was going to ask you, I mean, in terms of like these moves that you made, like the TP in Vermont and going to California, right. were your parents, I mean, t- thinking about the era that this all took place when it was sort of the Vietnam War and, the, you know, yeah. and the culture clashes that were happening, were your parents supportive of all this? or were You they- know,
2: they were supportive. I mean, I had, um, Dropped out of college and they weren't very supportive of that right. in Vermont. And I moved in with my boyfriend. Okay. You know, who eventually I married. Okay. Um, and that was, you know, with Justice, well, we were, work, you know, it was sort of at, ap- we got together. Um, this is after I had, you know, dropped out of school and then. Uh, we lived in the teepee together. Oh, well, I guess if you're going to live in a teepee we, with someone, you may yeah, as well marry them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then we, uh, <laughs> you know, went back to school, mm-hmm. and I went then to the CIA, okay. and he went to Kansas City to architecture school, and then we ended. I ended up when I finished culinary, going to Kansas City. We got married because I couldn't think of anything else to give my father for his birthday. So Justice <laughs> of the Peace, we did that. But so my parents were not very happy when we moved in together. Mm-hmm. And um and then eventually we separated. I realized I was a lesbian and left him and they weren't very happy about that. So yeah. so there we're, were many things they weren't very happy about. But I have to say that, you know, and you know, my father didn't talk to me for about eight months and uh-huh. you know, they they weren't very happy with the changes and things that were going on at all, especially when I came out.
0: Well, you were ahead of your time with that too. I mean, you were doing that in an era where it wasn't what it is today with the Supreme Court decision. Yeah, yeah, and, for you know. sure.
2: I, yeah, I mean, I didn't even think it. I, to me, it was just like, oh, this is this feels right. Yeah. I didn't even think my parents would be weird about it, but of course, that's how. Really? I Really, you didn't think them.
0: they'd be weird about it? No, but they were. Ah, uh, that's yeah, interesting. They were totally weird about where it. Where were, they, were they, they? They were in Toledo. But I mean, were they um, first generation? Were, they, were their parents no, immigrants? No. or no. Where, where did your family originate from? Where New did they, York. Okay.
2: And then my grandmother and her husband moved to Ohio, and that's where my parents were born.
0: Okay. Got it. Well, I was just listening to Lily Tomlin on a podcast, and she uh-huh. she was telling a similar story that you know she met her partner Jane Wagner yeah. in the seventies, and it was and she didn't think it was that big a deal, yeah. but it, but it her managers and agents were concerned about her coming out, and you know right. just that era. But I was going to ask, and I think when I met you last time, and maybe I'm totally wrong here, but did did your business partner, did Mary Sue, marry your ex husband?
2: Yeah. Well, so <laughs> eventually, so then we had split up, and um, you know, this is like five or six years later, this one, Mary Sue and I ended up in France and we had become friends because we worked together in Chicago. And then we right. both knew we were in, in France and she was dating all these weird loser guys. Like <laughs> it was like the stupidest thing. Right. And I had said to her, you should meet my ex because he's so cool and he's smart and interesting. <laughs> you should meet him. And then whatever that was, we were in France. And then Mary Sue and I decided when we were in France, you know, this is like a year later after being friends, that we should open up a business. We had no money or anything. <laughs> we ended up, you know, she ended up going back to Chicago. I ended up coming back to LA, working get at Mommy Zone. Mm-hmm. Got back on Friday, started working at Mommy Zone again on Monday. Wolf mm-hmm. had just opened Spago.
0: Amazing.
2: And my friends who own LAI Works had wanted to do this little cafe called City Cafe.
0: Oh, so that was the first. So that
2: was the first. And then like four months later, I convinced Mary Sue to come out. She came out. We started doing this cafe, and then we decided we're going to do a bigger restaurant. I stayed in touch with my ex, although he didn't really want to stay in touch, but (laughs) I stayed in touch, and he was an architect. Okay. And he had just come back from working in London, Mm -hmm. and- I knew, I don't know if I knew that or just called him to see where he was. I hadn't talked to him probably for a couple of years to say, come out, design our restaurant. That's amazing. And he went, no, I don't know if I'm going to go to New York or where I'm going to go. And like four months later, because we hadn't signed any deal or anything. Uh Someone said, there's someone here to see you. I looked out the window at City Cafe and it was Josh. And he came. And then he came and... I think six weeks later, eight weeks later, they were living together. Really? And that's been thirty plus years. That's so and I'm cool. the godmother to their kids. Wow. That's such so, a great story. Well it's like And he's been the architect for many of our restaurants.
0: And it feels like you just drew people to you, both the people you talked about who've worked for you for years, but also Mary Sue and your ex-husband. But it's like these people, you know, you you're almost like a magnet for people, and then they kind of all, yeah, that's a, such a cool I don't story. Know,
2: but yeah, and
0: was that? I mean, was that in any way weird for you no. to see them? No, get married? I was the
2: one that you know. I think they got married in the restaurant. By uh-huh. I think our accountant got his license, you know, over the internet and married them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, so I was going to ask you, how did you meet your your wife? Is yeah. are you guys married? Yeah. yeah. So, when Um, did you meet each other?
2: We met. uh, She was on a blind date with two people, well, with one person. Yeah, that that sounds like a kinky blind date. They (laughs) came in a doubles at Border Grill with two people that I knew. Oh, okay. and, um, And I said to that person, why didn't you introduce me to her?
0: Oh, did you start sending out some of your most impressive dishes? I think
2: she says I was like around the table. And it was like, I was around all tables. (laughs) She thinks I was just around her table. How long ago was this? 24 years ago, maybe 25, almost 25 in April, I think. And when did you get married? Uh, Just got married like three years ago. We got married on Friday the 13th. Oh. Which turned out to be a very interesting story because... When the matriarch ran the world, Mm -hmm. Friday was the holy day, Mm -hmm. and 13 was like the lucky day, the lucky number. And when the patriarch took over, they had to change the holy day, and it got changed to Sunday, and 13 became the unlucky number in order to put down the matriarch. I like that. That's good. We didn't know that. (laughs) We just decided Friday 13 so we wouldn't forget. That's great. And we really— Sort of got pushed to get married because Liz's mom, who we'd moved out here from Mm Detroit—she's from Detroit—was, like, 92 at the time. Okay. She's going to be 97 now. But she uh, called me and said, when are you two getting married?
0: I have a 98-year-old Uncle Jerry in Santa Monica, so we can set them up. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if she's single, but... She is. Okay, yeah, yeah we'll get them on a date. Um, wait, I was going to ask you something. Oh, at your wedding, what did you serve? What was the no, food? No, we
2: didn't even, you know. Oh. We got married uh, in the courtroom in... Right. Uh, somewhere in East LA yes. on lunch break <laughs> for the judge, and I came in my chef's clothes. They picked me up, and we went there, and then we went to street, I went back to work to street and that <laughs> night, you know, Liz came in with a couple of friends of ours and we had dinner. And then at 11, it was a Saturday night, I think, or Friday night or whatever, mm-hmm. Friday night. And uh, that night at 11 o'clock, the whole staff and the whole restaurant was like full. And all of a sudden, all the music goes off and they all had, you know, champagne and, oh. and toast. it was very
0: sweet. I'm glad they did something yeah, for yeah, it. It was great. It yeah. was a great,
2: it was a sort of sweet, you know very moving couple of days when neither one of us even sort of had thought about it as that, but it was, it was sweet.
0: Well, Craig and I were together. I mean, we've only been together 14 years, but we were together for like 11 years before we got married. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, cause I felt different. Did you feel any different when you put the rings on your fingers? Yeah.
2: You know that, I don't even think we had rings at that time. Mm-hmm. I don't think we had rings, but it was interesting when we were, you know, we were in the court in the children's courtroom, which was Liz's favorite. Cause there were stuffed animals everywhere and mm-hmm. she's like a. 13-year-old boy she's this amazing (laughs) singer songwriter Mm -hmm. and you know the last 10 years 12 years she's been writing and directing films but she's oh cool you know amazingly creative but she's like a 13-year-old boy (laughs) you know and (laughs) she just uh uh, did another short film that won like 28 awards oh my gosh so you're both very creative people Uh, well, we're fun. We have fun. <laughs>
0: Do you weigh in on each other's work? Does she taste your food and say this is too spicy? Well,
2: she's, you know, never been much of a food person at mm-hmm. all. You know, um, she's certainly gotten better in terms of <laughs> like food. But, you know, but cert- as a she's got a really great business mind. So that's oh, been interesting. That can you be know? helpful. Yeah.
0: But does she does she cook at all for you? No. Never. No. I'd be nervous to cook yeah. for you. No.
2: I. No one should be nervous. I love when someone cooks for me. But <laughs> right. no, she doesn't cook.
0: She doesn't cook. No. So I was going to ask you. It feels like there's a lot to go into here because so you you had your French restaurant training. Yeah. And then you met you tasted this food in the restaurant kitchens that the Mexican uh dishwashers were making but how did you get to a place what was your education in terms of starting to serve this food in a professional capacity like the way that you do now I mean how did you educate yourself about the cuisines of you know the different regions in Mexico and where did that all start
2: right well I think um you know I mean I'd training at the culinary institute so techniques yes and then working in french restaurants in south of france so tons of french technique and then i then the way i think really that we got most educated about it was traveling yeah. in mexico you know the first trip we ever took was in 1984 and we stayed at this we had one cook in our kitchen at city cafe because it was like Nine tables. Mm -hmm. We stayed with his family and for nine days went to markets with his mom Really, and came back and cooked. So we started to learn all about ingredients like achiote and epizote and ojasanta and different chilies because you couldn't even get... You couldn't get chipotle ancho; those none right. of that stuff was really here then.
0: But when you, so when you did, were going to open City Cafe, you knew from the very beginning the concept was to serve Mexican food. No,
2: no, okay. City Cafe was not Mexican. It wasn't Mexican. City food. Cafe was
0: 1981.
2: Okay. City Cafe was all basically French, country French food because that's what we were drawn to.
0: That's what you were trained in. So it yep. was like
2: cassoulet and brandad and gotcha. you know, potofu and duck that style. Then I took my first trip to India. Okay. And then I, a friend of mine was a follower of Mayor Baba. And so I went with her to the ashram. Wow. So I, and then at the ashram, the guy who ran that kitchen was American that had moved over there and was living there and So worked with like six or eight of Indian women and a couple men. Mm -hmm. You know, the women were on the outside kitchen. And I got to sort of go between. So I spent three weeks cooking with them.
0: And were you at that point seeking a different flavor? No, I just like
2: fell in love with India and the spices and culture and the food flavors. Where in India was it? Amignagar, which is like two hours away from Pune.
0: But it seems like already like you were being a maverick in a way to sort of start cracking at the you know the the giant facade of the French tradition and to sort of say, Hey, wait, there's the other stuff out there. you know well, yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I was really drawn to. More of the peasant country food from France. Right. Like already, yeah. I was not interested in, you know, doing Madeira sauces or, I mean.
0: Well, when you were, I was actually curious. So when you were working in France, so uh-huh. when you got this job, what, what, what was the restaurant that you were working in in France?
2: In Lannapoule, which is outside of Cannes. Okay. A restaurant called Loazis. And how did you... UTA, three-star restaurant. Three
0: Michelin-star restaurant. So yeah. when you got there, you'd had your training in Chicago already.
2: Yeah, and Kansas City. And Kansas City. And upstate New York when I was at the culinary. So I'd worked in French restaurants at that point for five years.
0: But when you showed up in France, did you speak French?
2: I'd taken French in high school.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, it sounds terrifying to <laughs> yeah, go to a Michelin three-star restaurant. Yeah,
2: all guys.
0: All guys. There was one
2: girl... French in the pastry kitchen. Okay. And the guy there's like eighteen guys, you know, all like twenty or eighteen years old.
0: And were you scared?
2: I was a little nervous. Yeah. How know? did you
0: get the job? What was the way in?
2: Through Mame Zone. Okay. You know, through uh, Patrick Turay at that time, the owner of Mame Zone. He did you helped put in a get good word. For he you. opened the door for me for sure.
0: So you show up there. I show
2: up there. I got a little studio, okay. you know. And uh, that was like ten minutes from the restaurant.
0: And was the idea for you, you wanted to get this French training because you wanted to work for the best of the best and sort of take this with you and maybe do something with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just more experience. When yeah. I was in culinary school, I at some point had said, like, I'm not going to do anything but read cookbooks. No more novels, no more...
0: Oh, wow. Do you remember which ones? I was ones? very focused. What were the ones that you that stuck with you? That- I
2: guess, you know, Escoffier mm-hmm. and Ferdinand point, And, you know, I was... Yeah. Those were sort of where I was at at the time. Gotcha.
0: Ann Willen, did you read her? No. 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 I have some of her books. Um, but I was going to say so when you showed up in the French restaurant kitchen, what were your first jobs that they made you do there?
2: Um, well, I worked, you know, I, I was on the line. I mean, immediately? Well, the line was very different kind of line. There were four stations. Okay. And, you know, my station was like, you know, the foie gras, you know, what else? The foie gras is what I remember the most because, you know, I would like, I'd never worked with fresh foie gras. Right. So like I'd cook a piece of foie gras, I'd like eat one, make one, eat one, make one. But, <laughs> so I sort of remember, that's the major thing Your I Your cholesterol remember, but, probably like went yeah, up to like probably. a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so there were four stations. So the chef would call, there were no tickets. The chef would call off what they needed from each station and you just put it up and then they.
0: And did you ever mess up?
2: No, but, you know, the younger boys, because they were younger than me, the younger boys, you know, because they're all doing their stages, you know, they they all, when I first got there, they were all speaking French so quickly, probably saying things like, you know, put a pot of water on and boil it. And then I couldn't. I didn't know what they oh, said. Oh, right. That. So- but I ended up having an incredible time there and learned a ton. And the chef was wonderful with Hmm. me I mean they all just spoke French that's such
0: an unusual story I mean I've heard such harsh I just I just read Marcus Samuelson's memoir and he went to France and just tells stories of abuse and screaming I had
2: none none of that I mean the chef was very strict and it wasn't that he didn't scream he didn't scream at me right and I ended up you know I mean I learned a ton there were no, you know, there was no dish machine so all the dishes were washed by hand. There were mm-hmm. no bussers or runners, the servers were that. And um I just had a great experience there. That's I really great. had a great experience. I mean in the beginning the you know young boys were sort of tough and right. I didn't have any relationship with the chef or the sous chef, but eventually, you know, I did and many years later when I opened City, the chef there he ended up coming to City Restaurant when he was visiting his son in the States and he brought me a pair of my high-top tennis shoes that I loved from there. So, you know, I ended up, you know, having... But probably because, you know, I worked from 7 a.m. until 10 10 p.m. and you had like a two-hour break in the afternoon. Mm -hmm.
0: You just uh, worked really hard.
2: I worked really hard. What makes me think of
0: that Julia Child sequence in um, Julie and Julia where, you know, she feels kind of mocked by the the French culinary school, and so she goes home and chops all the onions so that when yeah. she goes back the next day, she's the best one in the class. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so I was going to ask you, in, in that kitchen, what did you learn? Like, what are some of the things that you think you really learned in that well, kitchen?
2: probably, I'll tell you one thing that's probably s- stayed with me the most from that kitchen was a salad dressing that that I learned there because the owner of the restaurant, Utié was opening in Japan at that time, hmm. in Tokyo, and he brought back this salad dressing that was sesame and ginger and soy, like it like it would have been. And then he added Perno and oh. fish sauce and that and it was like this dressing is so fabulous. And we ended up that was like our house dressing at City, and it's still a dressing that's like my favorite dressing ever. Now, of course, it's common. Really? The perno,
0: I've never used Perno in well, dressing. Well, not Perno, but okay. you
2: know sesame ginger. No, but it sounds delicious. But at that time. yeah. You know, that was, you know, whatever that was, late 70s. Right. Nobody was doing that then.
0: But, but it's interesting that, like, that was sort of, like, foreshadowing what you'd be doing. It really then. did. Yeah. You know,
2: and, and I think what happened for me when, after opening City Cafe and then going to India, mm-hmm. and over the years, I've been to India, like, six times. Really? And working in the kitchen there. What, that first trip changed my whole view of where I wanted to go in the cooking world Mm. in terms of spices and flavor profiles. Right, because that's
0: where we were in the story, right? Because you just gone to India after opening City Kitchen. So when you came back, what was your next move? Well,
2: like the first few dishes that I brought onto our menu there. So now you had like... Duck confit and brandada salmon and potato budgia with a mint cilantro chutney, and then eggplant spinach curry. And, and do
0: you remember how customers reacted when you first put that on the menu? We had
2: great response from at mm-hmm. City Cafe. From because we got our first gourmet write up at City Cafe.
0: Right. So. And then when did it shift to Mexico? Was it right after that? We
2: opened City. We decided we we're going to open a bigger restaurant. Mm-hmm. We decided we'd open. It was. Both Mary Sue and I had mopeds and I went going around <laughs> the neighborhood to see where and we found an old carpet warehouse that I went into and it was these two brothers that, you know, it was pitch, it was just black. Was dark this in Santa Monica? It, no, it was on 2nd and La Brea. Oh, okay. And uh, I stopped in there and looked at it. I was like, okay, this is great space. Now at this point, Josh... The architect, who is now living with Mary Sue, was out there, and or no, hadn't come yet. But this is when I found this space. Like this is such a fabulous space, really. So
0: that's a lot of work to turn a carpet it was, but it had great bones. Okay,
2: I convinced the the I don't know if I convinced, but I think I did. Got them to move. Uh We took over that space, and I love that that space before them. When we went to sign the deal, it was a grocery store before the carpet warehouse. Uh. And the owner of it, her name was May, capital B, Bliss. (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> There's great. a lot of symbolism in your yeah, life. Yeah. You have Friday the 13th, yeah, and maybe. Yeah, um, so okay. So city. Now, did city become a Mexican city restaurant? City
2: became the big city restaurant. We put in a tandoori oven. We had a TV at the bar. That was 1984. Okay. And when we decided to do that, might have been '85. When we decided to do that. Mary Sue and I were trying to decide what to do with the little city cafe because now I had gotten Mary Sue to move out Mm -hmm. and convince her to stay. So we were both at city cafe after spending, you know, she was in a two-star in Paris and I was in the three-star in the Uh South. Now we got this little tiny cafe that is no stove. It was two hibachis (laughs) in the parking lot and, you know, a hot plate and convinced her to stay. And then we decided probably six, eight months later to open a bigger restaurant. Found this space. Yes. Decided: Should we turn City Cafe into a noodle Japanese noodle house or a taco stand? And taco stand won.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's how it yeah. got to. So Mexico. we okay.
2: turned that. In, we took our first trip to Mexico. Right. For two weeks, and a VW Bug riding all around, riding the menu to eating street food for two weeks straight. Came back, opened. Border Grill in the little tiny city. Oh, cafe. so it was called
0: Bird, Border Grill right from the beginning. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, what was the, um because right now, food, I mean, in the past 10, 15 years, food has become so huge and there's all, all these magazines, TV shows, Netflix. Right. But like back then in the 80s, this is pre Food Network, which yeah. I'm going to ask you about because I know you had your show on the Food yeah, Network. Yeah. But what was it like when you opened a restaurant? I mean, who were the people that would write about it? Who, where, was it Jonathan well, Gold? Was it?
2: No, I mean, back when we opened City, the L.A. Times food writer critic was Ruth Reichel. Ruth
0: Reichel, I was going to ask. So but she
2: was the, I mean, it had been Lois Duan before her, uh-huh. and Rose Dosty was writing. I'm sure Ruth
0: Reichel loved you guys and right out Ruth, of the gate, right? Yeah,
2: we had a great review from Ruth that was really wonderful.
0: And it was so concentrated then, too, because it was before Yelp. Before It was like, yeah. that review probably meant so much more than a yeah. review means today. Yeah,
2: that was great.
0: So, okay, so you opened Border Grill, and then you had- little
2: Border Grill, and then we opened City. Okay. In 1990, we opened Border Grill Santa Monica.
0: Gotcha. And Where- so when this is all happening, is it just growing and growing? And- but yeah, I
2: mean, it wasn't, I mean, we had like five years between City mm-hmm. and Border Grill, and then we got- our, then we went to Food Network and Yeah, did, I want to hear uh, about
0: that. So, this was in the early days of the Food Network.
2: Very beginning. Yeah. Sarah uh,
0: Moulton was on. Yes, yeah, Sarah was there yeah. and
2: David was there.
0: David.
2: Rosengarden. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, that's like when I first started. Yeah. And Mario Batali had his show. No,
2: he wasn't there yet. I oh, he wasn't think. there yet. No. Uh-uh. Um,
0: so, you were right at the very beginning. Yeah. Two Hot Tamales. Yeah, we
2: were on like, I mean, we taped like 450 shows. Really? We did, we used to tape six shows a day. I would
0: love nothing more than to watch them, but are they available anywhere? I know,
2: I know, I don't know why they don't run them anymore. They'd be fun to run. Well, the Food we, Network
0: should just do like an app or I'm sure they have one, but they should just put all those shows I don't on know. there. Yeah,
2: you should reach out to them. I and will. Tell them.
0: <laughs> no, we should start a campaign. I mean, just literally sitting in a vault somewhere and we get yeah. people to watch and it. And they
2: were fun. They were hysterical. Oh, I would
0: watch them, yeah, yeah. They were hysterical. So, what? what was that when you. God, how did that come about? How did the offer come they to They had
2: us, um, they they approached us to come do, I want to, I, I think it was called Chef for a Day or something. I can't remember what it was called. We went and- To New York. To New York. Yeah. And did five days, I think, of filming. Hmm. And then after that, I don't know how quick, but pretty quick after they asked if we were interested in doing a show. Hmm. Said yeah, (laughs) because we both loved to teach, and we had been we had taught even you know we had taught at Ma Cuisine, which was a cooking school at Ma Maison, Mm -hmm. and we both really liked to teach quite a bit. And you know, we were such uh, we were so Midwest, you know, like when we would teach a cooking class, we would go through and look at like okay, let's say the recipe had tomatoes and cucumbers and basil. We would like look up tomatoes and every single thing about tomatoes <laughs> yeah. and write it down and right. look up cucumbers, everything. But it was such a, a interesting way for, I think, Mary Sue and I to expand our knowledge mm-hmm. of food. And what was and- it
0: like being on camera, though? Did you enjoy it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, for some reason, I didn't. It just did not phase me one bit. I mean, I wasn't nervous. Mm-hmm. I was just sort of like, oh, it's just a camera. I mean, it just, I was not one bit nervous. I think Mary Sue was more nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just not nervous at all.
0: And we're, this is before the age of like the superstar chef, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But did, For you, sure. did you start to feel though, as the Food Network got more popular, that you would get recognized? Or? Yeah.
2: I mean, we were on like five or six times a day, mm-hmm. but it was mainly Food Network was only in New York at that point. Okay. So, I mean, we would walk down the streets in New York and literally firemen who were watching it <laughs> like three in the morning because it was on all day right. would be like, oh my God, there's a 2 out twice." And so that was, you know, sort of an interesting time because we were definitely, people would come into the restaurant and, you know, aware, like- In LA. Aware, yeah, in LA. So it
0: came to LA. Eventually. It
2: eventually came to LA.
0: Did yeah. you ever want to open in New York when this was all happening?
2: Well, I always want to open in New York, but, you know- that's it's hard. a whole different, yeah. You know, I mean, we're in Vegas, and I go back and forth to Vegas, but you know, you'd almost need one of us to live in New York, which would be fun too.
0: So, when you were doing the show, were you flying back and forth and shooting? Yeah, we'd sh-
2: and- we'd go to New York for five days and shoot thirty shows. Okay. So, six shows a day.
0: So, this is where all that energy comes in handy is when you yeah. have something like this I going on. I mean, we'd on.
2: start at six, but we'd be done by six and it'd be like, oh my God, this is like vacation. Then we'd go out and be out all night and <laughs> oh party gosh. and then come 6 a.m. And were
0: you partying with like the Food Network people of that time?
2: Or? Uh, I don't think so. I think we'd just go and eat. I don't yeah. mean party. I think we'd go and like eat and eat and eat you know, out in New York and...
0: Well, I was going to ask you, and one thing that's interesting to me is that, and we're almost out of time, but I feel like I could, again, go on forever, um, is the way that media changed, the way that publicity, you know, obviously you're on a podcast right now, you know, talking about your career and stuff, but, right. but I feel like in the time that you were doing all this, they, suddenly there appeared, you know, Top Chef, which I know you were on Top Chef Masters and the right. Food Network, and now there's Netflix. It's, but in terms of, publicizing a restaurant it feels like when you started things were very different than they are today Yeah, and i'm curious how you've surfed all that and how you think about all that
2: well you know i think it's yeah when when we first started it was you know gourmet bone appétit right. la times you know new york times wall street journal that that was what where you were mm-hmm. um and now you know i think those reviews obviously are still important um, but you've got all the other, you know, Yelp and, yes. you know, and all the different Instagram. Um, Insc- yeah, yeah, Instagram, all of the, which is sort of, I mean, it's an amazing thing for restaurants to be able to reach the public, mm-hmm. you know, other than just through, you know, media in the sort of traditional sense. So right. I love that because, me, because. You know, PR companies are crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you happen to get a bad review, and, you know, right now you've got all these other sort of smaller yet powerful ways in reaching the public. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a really fantastic shift.
0: You like the in, shift. I do. It's kind of decentralized all the power from just a few restaurant critics to now the people can sort of. And,
2: and you know, I mean, that was one of the wonderful things about Jonathan Gold yeah. is that, you know, he reviewed all those restaurants that, you know, mo- many, many chefs get their inspiration from mm-hmm. that never got reviewed. Totally. So I loved that. And I think very soon I've always been about how do we reach the people out there? How Mm -hmm. do you reach the person who can afford your restaurant who can't afford your restaurant? It's why we started the trucks. That's interesting. How do you have a voice? It's why I think we both are very involved in nonprofit world. How do you have a voice out there and make change happen? So, you know, I'm on the board of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which is crazy amazing That's really cool. And we just started our culinary program there, really? which is an Oh yeah, you should come do a tour.
0: I would love to. That would it's be great.
2: At the new Anita May Rosenstein Center.
0: It's supposed to be beautiful. Is, I haven't seen it yet, but Craig went to the opening party and yeah, said it was really it's cool. it's amazing. Yeah. We,
2: you know, there's 100 there's 100 beds for homeless youth. Wow. 99 low-income senior apartments and a whole culinary program that's a 12-week program that's Interdiscipline or intergenerational of seniors and youth that go through a 12 week training program. And then the center through their employment opportunities help to get them placed in restaurants. So it's kids and seniors that, you know, have either lost their way or lost jobs or are homeless and Mm -hmm. now looking for now get a skill and a career. And it's amazing. And we're about to launch the new. Uh, coffee house, Mm -hmm. which is going to serve food right there at the corner of Santa Monica and McAdden, where some of these people will then be able to work there. It's just an amazing program. It really is amazing. So
0: That's really cool. I mean, it's so fascinating to... I mean, one of the things that's occurring to me as you're talking about all this is just the inherent narcissism that comes in being a chef and how you are it seems just incredibly selfless that even when I was earlier in the conversation talking about praising you and talking about Jonathan Gold's thing about, you know, it feels like it's not really about you. It's about the people you're feeding and the people that you're helping and the people you're serving. Yeah. Which is it's, very admirable.
2: It's, I think it's always been something very important to myself and to Mary Sue yeah. is, you know, to give back. And, you know, I've been on the scleroderma research foundation board for, Twenty-eight years. I was going to ask
0: about that because I saw that in your in, yeah. in your my, profile. But can you tell us my, more about that? Yeah,
2: my college roommate was diagnosed. My college roommate, when I was at Pitzer, mm-hmm. many years after, after she graduated from Stanford, you know, was diagnosed with this horrific disease called scleroderma, okay. which is an overproduction of collagen, and it basically turns the body to rock. Really, and so we started doing this event called Cool Comedy Hot Cuisine mm-hmm. and have had amazing comedians. Bob Saget's also on the board with me. I think I've seen he that on did your it. Instagram. He did it one year, and two years later, his sister was diagnosed <sighs> with scleroderma.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: So we've been doing this event, and you know, Robin did it probably... Eight times, Robin Williams. And, oh, really? You know, and it's been Dana Carvey and John Oliver and John Stewart, and we've wow. just had amazing comedians over the years, and even singers like you know, just have Cheryl Crow and John. But this is Mayer. an event that
0: you started.
2: Yeah, we yeah. yes, that's and so we've cool. done. We've raised over forty eight million dollars for scleroderma research.
0: Wow! And are they anywhere closer to a cure <clears> for it?
2: Yeah. You know, Johns Hopkins does amazing research, and you see San Francisco and Duke, and there's lots of partnerships that we've made that are doing research. And so, this is
0: all just from your roommate in college, like hearing about her. And she
2: started the scleroderma research Foundation. I see.
0: Okay. So wow.
2: It's amazing. Ugh. But it's you've you know, done so
0: many things.
2: I'm, you know, I think, you know, the, the community supports us. Yeah. And so it's very important to both Mary Sue and I, to support the things that we believe in. You know, we just did a big event at Soklo the other night for um, Restore California. I saw yeah. that, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so...
0: Unfuck the planet, is yeah, that what it is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can curse on here because it's my yeah. podcast. Um, well, every podcast starts with, what are you having for lunch? Or what did you have for lunch? But it right. ends with, what are you having for dinner tonight?
2: Well, let's see. Will you day. be on the
0: line? Will you be snacking?
2: I'll be, be <laughs> yeah, you know, when I leave here, actually, when I leave here, I'm going to do a pastry tasting for our new culinary program at the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Oh, really? For our coffee shop. It's oh, going to be opening. That's In great. The spring. Then I'll be headed out to Sokolo. Okay. Where then I will be, you know, probably on the line and working the room and hoping that Liz, you know, my partner in life, is going to be in there. uh, Sometimes she comes with her computer and (laughs) works because we're not in our house anymore. Oh, right.
0: Yeah. You were mentioning earlier uh, that there's fires. Yeah. How'd you evacuate? evacuate, Oh, my gosh. Um, But in terms of dinner, so so what will I eat? Yeah. What will you eat?
2: Probably I'll eat like, if she's there with a friend, I'll yeah. probably join them late. Uh-huh. And then oftentimes, like when it's late, I'll have one like our, you know, Ensalada Del Campo. Okay they probably have a really delicious salad where it has like shaved root vegetables, like celery root parsnips with an oregano vinaigrette. So know. nowhere,
0: I mean, part of the healthfulness of your day, it seems like at no point are you sitting down and eating like a giant burrito or no. eating a big piece of chocolate cake or you no know.
2: no no I mean I taste a lot yeah. it doesn't mean I mean I sometimes you know if I'm border girl downtown I'll you know grab a fresh tortilla and mm-hmm. carnitas and some freshly made guacamole yeah. and eat that sure you know and I snack on bacon when I walk by or how do you, you know?
0: handle it if you go out to um like if you go to France or something you go to a Michelin starred meal and it's like course after course after course can you yeah. can you eat that much food usually
2: yeah. usually we never I mean it's interesting we, I never usually end up in big restaurants when I'm traveling yeah. I mean really 99% of the time I'm eating on the street
0: you just want to eat the, so street, eat food. Yeah. the street
2: food all day it's
0: all consistent because this is all like yeah. tied together I mean but, the food that you were drawn to yeah. but I think it's also connected to your energy it's like you don't want to be stuck at a table
2: I mean but I can eat like en naka I love oh that's and, you know amazing. AOC I yeah, love it yeah. you know sure you I mean, can do it I eat I can eat and eat and eat and eat <laughs> well, and, sure and you when can. I'm full I continue to eat <laughs>
0: you do it all day so tonight so I was going to ask so yeah, you know, so what are some of the things on the menu, though, like that that you want to let people know about? Well, like,
2: for example, I love we have tons of great vegetables. Like, our roasted cauliflower is so yummy. Is it a I whole just, head of
0: cauliflower? No,
2: it's not. Okay. But it's like I don't
0: like the whole head, it's too
2: much. Yeah, I, yeah, I, lo- I yeah, I mean, this <laughs> is these are, you know, small flower uh, yeah. florets and then. They're quickly seared, and we make this mojo, which is really delicious with lots of slow cooked garlic and chipotle in it. That's just oh yummy, God. and so I love that. Our finger link potatoes, we mm. do with a fresh cheese. We steam them, and then smash them, and then fry them, and then dip, rub them in a chimichurri over this. Um, I love that, you know. Are they mostly
0: small plates that um, are shared No, or it...
2: but the, lots of these are small, yeah. you know, that we're doing a, you know, of course our ceviche ceviches are great. Uh-huh. So, you know, maybe I'd eat the Mexicali ceviche which is with ahi amarillo.
0: Wow.
2: Um, we're just putting a salmon poke onto the menu.
0: And so when um, you go back to the kitchen today, you're going to be tasting all these things and yeah. adjusting and adding salt and adding
2: Yeah, and then tonight probably if I sit there with friends, you know, we'd get You know, that the Lamberia is killer. It's so delicious. And, you know, probably we'd get one of those and share that with pickled vegetables and refried beans and a mint and jalapeno salsita. That's delicious.
0: I'm on my way now. And (laughs)
2: breakfast. I mean, breakfast is fantastic there. I love breakfast. And the best thing about Soklo is we've got tons of parking.
0: Oh, that's great. Because we're
2: right connected, not connected, but right connected to the uh, Park Gateway Hotel. Okay. There's tons of parking there. So that's, that's actually cool.
0: nice in LA. It's hard and to free park, And free, free parking. Free. Okay, I'm, I'm on yeah. my way. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming all this way and doing lunch therapy.
2: Absolutely. I can't <laughs> wait to go eat now.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> all right.